So, um, it's good to see everyone today. We are jumping back into our Nehemiah series, our series called Return to God. And uh, we took a four-week break from this series to do our annual secrets series uh, around Easter time. And uh, now we're getting back into uh, this. And basically, in the book of Nehemiah, in the Old Testament, we have been learning about ourselves, we've been learning about, you know, we, we can see parallels in our lives, for our church, for our times. And uh, most importantly, though, we're learning about God. We're learning about God. That's the reason we turn to the Bible, is that we learn about God. And one of the things we learn in the story of God, the, the history of Scripture, is that uh, ancient Israel, even though they'd been freed from Egyptian slavery, even though they had been given the truth, even though they'd been loved by God and forgiven and set free by God, they, and they had been given their own land, and they'd been called to build a just and righteous kingdom, a kingdom of God on earth. Even though that was their calling, that was the gift, they knew God directly. Even though all of those good things being set free from slavery, they screwed up majorly. That's if you read the Old Testament, if you can manage to do that, which some Christians struggle to do that. But if you can, you'll see this cycle over and over and over again of each generation really royally screwing up uh, God's plans and Sometimes having little glimpses of doing it kind of okay, but even then it's still a massive screw-up. And what happens is they perpetuate evil. They become corrupt. They worship false gods. They fail God's plans and God's ways. And so um, essentially their kingdoms, well, initially it splits in two. So now they're a divided kingdom, north, north and south actually. They're divided this way, not this way. And they're, they're a divided kingdom. And what happens is God sends foreign nations, he sends the Babylonians and the Assyrians to conquer them and to exile them and to drag them back to Babylon. And there's a small remnant of people left in Jerusalem, but a massive amount of people carted off, and it was a, it was a huge intervention to stop the evil ways of God's own people. Things have to be pretty bad to take such drastic action, and they were in exile for 70 years in Babylon. And then there's a return. People start coming back. One of the people that comes back is Nehemiah. He was the cupbearer of King Artaxerxes, and he approaches Artaxerxes about getting resources and getting permission to rebuild Jerusalem, because even though Jerusalem was still in disrepair from the initial conquering, it seems that more recently there's been other attacks, and the walls the walls, parts of the walls have been broken down and the gates have been burned and the remnant that's there and the people that are returning are vulnerable. They're in danger. And the reason all of this matters, the reason that this story matters, because you might read the Bible and think, well, how does this have relevance to my life? What is this all about? How does this come into the, 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 the big plan of God to save people? All of this matters. Restoring Jerusalem matters. Rebuilding the walls, defending God's people. This remnant being preserved that's so vulnerable right now, it matters so much because God had promised to bring about the Savior of the world through the descendants of Abraham. And so the, the events of Nehemiah are consequential for the coming of Jesus. We look back now and we know that that Savior, that Messiah was Jesus. And so we see everything that Nehemiah is fighting for is so important. And he, he, had, he, he, had, he had real faith because he, he, they couldn't quite see the exact working, how it would all work out. But they had faith to pursue God's plan and God's purposes for this. So we've learned so far, as we've been going through Nehemiah, we've learned about his commitment to prayer and fasting. We've learned about uh, the coupling of, of faith and action. You can't just have faith. It's got to be faith plus action. Uh, we've learned about this, this building project they have. They're trying to secure resources to rebuild the wall and rebuild the gates. 
And we see some parallels for us that we're trying to actually, we don't own this building, we're trying to buy it. We've got our own building project and there's a lot of practicalities, there's vision around that, there's faith around that, there's resources around that. We're trying to make this building accessible, more accessible to people, to make it a lighthouse in this city to meet needs in this neighborhood and to bless those around here that people might hear the good news of the gospel of grace. And we see some parallels there uh, for us in that. And uh, on that track, actually, we have, a, we have a project day coming up on May 28th. So if you want to get practical and get in serving and roll up your sleeves, you have a project day May 28th. You can mark on the back of your Connect card if you're interested in that. But we see some parallels there, some practical project building parallels between Nehemiah and some things that we're doing. We also saw massive conflict that Nehemiah and, and, and these workers that are rebuilding uh, Jerusalem, they're facing military opposition that could wipe them out. And the last time where we left this off before is they had set a guard. They had set a guard because they had imminent threat of invasion, essentially. So they set a guard to protect the workers and to get through it. And that's where we're going to be picking it up from today. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 14 through 23. And they temporarily stopped the building project in order to secure uh, from this imminent invasion. And uh, let's, let's pray and then uh, let's read uh, on here. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that uh, you have sent your spirit to us to illuminate your word to us. So we pray that today that we would uh, understand your truth, that we'd be transformed by your truth, that we'd be changed by it, that this, these wouldn't just be ancient stories that are kind of sort of interesting to learn about, but this would be life-giving, this would transform us, that we would live into these stories, that we would live out these stories and live out the truth of your word, that you would anchor us in your word today. In Jesus' name. And I pray for all those here or online that don't know you, God, come to them. Show them how great you are. Show them how much you love them. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Here we go. Verse 14. Did I say no? Verse 15, excuse me. Verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. And we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, Rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be, that, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, 
nor the men of the guard who followed me. None of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. This is God's word. So there's been an answer to prayer. Nehemiah, we've seen this time and again, he's not just a man of prayer, he's a man of great practicalities as well. Very practical, but very prayerful. And so they've seen an answer to these prayers. Kind of, Nehemiah is one of these, these people who seems to hit this sweet spot that so many people are looking to, to hit, the kind of the elusive sweet spot of being somebody of, of, of great interest and great character and somebody of, of spiritual depth, but also somebody who is entrepreneurially successful and is uh, uh, accomplished at what they, they want to achieve in their life. I'm sure if uh, a savvy publisher comes along, they might try and take the book of Nehemiah and repackage it today to be a New York Times bestseller, Fast Pray Build. I'm sure something like that could, could, be, could be thought up. Um, but we see this amazing answer to prayer. They have enemies. Uh, before we looked at it, Sambalot and Tobiah and others who are uh, threatening them, threatening to attack them with their militaries, with their armies. And praise God, God has defended them. The threat is still there. There's still a threat. The threat doesn't, never goes away completely. But what we see is we see that it's died down, that it's backed off a little bit. So praise God for this. Church, we should be so encouraged, we should be so built up that God answers prayers. God hears our prayers. He invites our prayers. He cares about our prayers. This is a massive reminder to us of how powerful prayer can be, that God, and how encouraging it is when we see, we've got to focus on, because, you know, there's a lot of things we might want that we might pray for that God's like, you know what, if, if you got that, that wouldn't really be the right thing for you. That wouldn't be the best thing for you. I've got a better plan. So part of it's faith, right? But, but, but praying in line with God's will, praying for these things, and seeing an answer to prayer, what a glorious, great thing. God is protecting them. God is providing for them. We can be so built up and encouraged by this. So the work had been on, on hold. They had to hit the pause button on the work. And now that the threat has settled down, it tells us that they each returned, each one of them, to, the, to his own work. Each one of them returned to his own work. So what we need to learn from this is that we need to be not just people who accept kingdom responsibility and people who are participating and engaged and we're people who are rolling up our sleeves and jumping in and getting on board. We're not, we are those people because that's what God calls us to do. But we're also people who have the fortitude when there are interruptions, when there are things that go awry, there are threats and intimidations where you have to pause the work the, the responsibilities you have, they, they, they go on hold for a little bit. Once the problem is resolved, we have to be people with the fortitude that will say, I'm going to resume. I'm going to get back to my responsibilities. They may look a little different. They may have changed a little bit. But the fact is we're still called into God's kingdom work. And I think there's a big parallel for us here, especially think about the last couple of years, right, with the pandemic. Um, a lot of things got put on hold. A lot of things got put on hold. And we could apply this in our personal lives. We could apply this as a church community. We can apply this as a society. There's lots of levels you can apply this on. But I think we want to be the kinds of people as modeled by this generation, the people that Nehemiah is leading of the day. We want to be those kinds of people that say, you know, if there are interruptions, the interruptions shouldn't stop the work of God indefinitely. They may hit the pause button. They may cause it to slow down. They may set us back, but we're people that power back up, rise back up. So the challenge for us that we have to ask ourselves is, have we gotten back to 
Now, things don't look exactly the same. There's, we learn things, right? Things are going to look different. But the question we should ask ourselves is, have we gotten back to pre-pandemic capacity? Have we got back to that emotionally, practically, physically, in terms of ministry, in terms of our engagement and our commitment to things? Are we back? What are the barriers? What are the things that we've got to go towards? Now, look, we've been fighting battles, right? I mean, they, they had to prepare for a battle, and we've been fighting battles. So I know there's, there's personal battles that have been waged in the background, all kind of family battles. There's been community-wide battles. I've you know, talked to my, my other church leader friends who are like, hey, there's all kind of ministry battles right now. I know we've had our own ministry battles. I know some people are playing too much Call of Duty and having those kind of battles as well. We'll, we'll talk about video game addiction in an upcoming week. We talked about some other addictions recently, but... Video games one's a problem too, but we, we've been engaged in these battles, and so it makes sense that when you're engaged in a battle, you're, gonna, you're not going to be as active in doing the works of the kingdom. You're not going to be as engaged in serving, because that, that, you're fighting. It's like a life or death situation, like this is consuming all of my energy and time. But it says each one returned to their work. They knew how important this work was. We've got to get back to this work. And God, the great thing is that God has the strength for us. God has the strength to help us. Because I don't want this to be, I don't want this to sound like, hey, just pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. Just kind of, you know, figure it out. God is here to help restore what's been lost. And hopefully, we're a little stronger for it. Hopefully, because God strengthens us through, through the battles, through the challenges. We come out different. Now, Fast forward in the Bible, uh, there's a verse in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he talks about this idea in a, in a, in a kind of interesting way. He, he paints the, the Christian life as being like a, a race. So he's kind of paralleling it with, with athleticism, saying the Christian life is kind of like being an athlete. And he, he says, in, in a race, all the runners run. Any runners in the room? Anyone who likes to run? Chicago's a very running city. We've got a few runners around. I see a few runners. Here we go. In a race, all the runners run. And it says, run in such a way as to win the prize. Now, don't misinterpret that. You can't, like, beat people to, like, you know, salvation or anything. Like, we all get, you know, we're all going to make it in the end if we believe, right? Of course. But uh, the point is that we're, hey, we're striving for, hey, I want to win. I want to uh, uh, be successful in my Christian walk. You know, I want to master it and, 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 and please God in that way. But it says there, Paul says, all the runners run. In a race, I mean, do you ever see a race where the gun goes off and one person's like, nah, just kidding. Oh, no, no, I was just kidding around. I did all this preparation, been planning for this, and it's just a joke. You know, never, never, ever, ever have we ever seen anything like that, right? Now someone's going to make a skit. I'm sure there's a skit somewhere of that. But All right, so in a race, all the runners run. And I, as someone who's never run a marathon myself, I just want to say, like, in my book, like, if you, you, know, if you can't finish the race, you know, you can walk it, right? You can walk it, right? You can crawl. And, and you can catch an Uber, and I won't hold it against you, all right? I won't hold it against you if you catch an Uber and get to the finish line. we got to find a way to participate. No matter our capacity at the moment, we got to find a way. God is calling me to the work. The work is really important. I've got to re-engage with the work. Bless you. Where did I get to? So, however, when you go through something really big, and we, as a culture and personally and, and, and as a community, we've been through some really big things, and when you go through battles and you go through challenges and you come out the other side, you've got, a couple, you've got really got two big options. You're either worse off or you're better off. And how you respond to it determines if you're worse off or you're better off. Okay? So hopefully, 
after going through something big, we don't, hopefully we don't operate, we don't just come back exactly the same way. Hopefully we come back wiser and smarter. And we're more attuned to threats and to issues that we didn't see before. We were just blind to them. They were always there. We just, we just never saw them. They were invisible to us before. And now when you go through something, you say, wow, I learned a whole bunch through that. Man, well, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to experience that again. How can we get ready if something like this happens again? How do we prepare for future challenges and threats? So it is the right time for them to resume the work because the threat has died down a bit. It's still not completely gone. It still could happen, but it's died down. The imminent nature of it's died down. So yes, it's the right time to resume the work, but it's not the right time for them to disarm. They still have to be armed. And what we, what we see here is we see that they, they, you know, if you're given a tool, you also have to be given a weapon in this kind of situation. And, and there are a lot of parallels here for, for us as a, a church community is that we're, we're in this restoration phase. You know, we were shut down for a really long time. We saw a lot of volunteers, a lot of leaders move on, a lot of things change. And now it's like, okay, God, you're breathing new life into us. You're rebuilding. We're in this restoration work. That's why we're going through Nehemiah, because God's leading us through this time. And so if you're given, if you're given a shovel, you also get given a sword. If you're, if you're given a ladder, you also get given some arrows. If you're given a, a hammer, I guess you just hit someone with a hammer, because that, that works for both. So that one's pretty good, actually. You're like the god of thunder. You're, it works. It's a, it's, a, it's a tool and a weapon. Although you never see Thor kind of like using it actually as a tool, but you know, either way. And so, as it relates to Nehemiah's time and the people here, what's happening is um, some of the people can work with one hand. That the particular task they're doing, they can they can just use one hand, and then the other hand they can that they've got a sword. I mean, this is how like the the, the immediacy of the dangers gone away. But there's still quite a bit of danger. And so, you know, the fact that you're having to carry, literally carry a sword around with you all day would be pretty tiring. So you've got one hand working, one hand with a sword. Then people who have to use both hands can have a sword strapped to their side. And, uh, but then others maybe who can't even have that, they've got people guarding them with spears and other weapons. And all, they list out a few, a few weapons here that are guarding them. The whole workforce is armed, which I think would be a great policy on Black Friday. Just in case, just in case. If I, say, if I made that joke in other parts of America, people would laugh at that, all right? I just want to make that point. Just want to make that point. Thank you, thank you. Okay. I'm here every week if you want to come. Um, so the purpose, the reason, the reason that they need to be working this way is because the threat is still, it's still lingering. The threat is still lingering. They have to be ready. They, the most important thing is the construction project, is re restoration, is rebuilding. But they also have to be aware we're also in a war. We're also under threat of war and invasion. And so they have to be both constructioners, which is a real word that I made up. They, they have to be constructioners and warriors at the same time. And it might be tempting, I'm sure some of us like one of those more than the other. Some of us are like, yeah, the war thing, that sounds kind of cool, the warrior thing. Others might be like, no, the, the, the construction thing, that, the, you know, that, that's building and creating, like that's, that's, my, that's my thing, right? We might have a tendency to like one more than the other, but in God's kingdom, we all have to be willing and equipped to do both. 
We all have to be willing and equipped to do both. It's like building IKEA furniture. If you've ever been to IKEA, right? You're, you're prepared to build something while simultaneously being prepared to destroy something as well. So learning good sword technique is just as important as learning good shovel technique. That we, 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 because there's practicalities to ministry. You, know, you have to learn how to use the shovel, how to use a ladder, how to do this building, how to do this restoration work. There, there are skills and tools, and there, there are things, there are practicalities. You've got to work on that. But also, I'm in a battle. I have to fight. And so I have to be prepared to defend myself and defend others and, and, and see threats that are coming. And I hope that our level of awareness over the past couple of years, as we're coming out of you know, 2020 and 2021 through there and now into this year, that I hope that our level of awareness, that we have a much greater understanding of the kinds of threats that we can face. And, and we actually see some parallels, some great parallels here. The, the threats that we face are similar to the threats that Nehemiah faced. So let me talk about three of them real quick. The first one is the threat of isolation. The threat of isolation. So the people of, Is of Israel, they were exiles, right? That's one form of isolation. They'd been isolated from their, their home place, and they'd been isolated in, in Babylon and separated. And so that's one form of it. But, but also, and then Nehemiah is saying, like, hey, we're doing this building project, and we're all spread out on the wall. We're all separated from each other. So if there's an invasion, like, we're kind of toast. Like, we can't rally together and fight as one unit and one force. We're in big trouble. And so... I think there's a massive, there's a, and we saw this, right, over the last few years. When you're isolated, when you're on your own, you're extremely vulnerable. You're extremely vulnerable. When we're given to ourselves, when we spend a lot of time by ourselves and we don't have interaction with, with, with people, we always, we always have dark thoughts and negative thoughts. I think it's something like 80% of our thoughts are automatically negative. I think that's a, a study that, that, that proved that. that 80% of your thoughts throughout the day are automatically negative. When you're by yourself, that gets amplified. It gets darker and darker and darker, and that stuff grows like a cancer in our minds. So isolation is extremely, is extremely dangerous threat. Being spread out like this, they're vulnerable on this wall. It's, a, it's an amazing parallel for us. I, I've seen many Christians who got isolated, and they made decisions that they never would have made if they were surrounded by a community, and they were wounded because of that isolation. The second threat we see, that we saw in previous weeks, in fact, from Nehemiah, is we saw um, the threat of confusion. And this was actually something that the enemy said. They said, we're gonna intentionally come and cause confusion amongst them. Now, this is a tactic of, of the enemy, is to cause confusion. And this is where you kind of, you know, you, something is, is, is presented to be one way, to, you, you get a red herring or, or, or a false flag, or it's some kind of deception, right? Something is, you, you think it's one way, but it's really another way. And so then you, you're in utter confusion. You can't coordinate, you can't work together, you're, you're confused. This is a major, a major issue for Christians struggling in confusion, not having clarity about circumstances and situations. And the third threat that's faced is intimidation. And so they had these, these, this intimidation coming from these surrounding military groups, threatening death, threatening war, threatening that they're going to destroy them. And the thing, we've got to understand this, that the, the, the threats are by themselves have no power. Obviously, if somebody acts on a threat, that's when the power actually happens. But the threat itself actually has no power. The only power it has is the power that we give it, is, is how we respond to it. Does, do, do we allow it to affect us? And so 
what happened before in Nehemiah was that the people started essentially is either a rhyme or a chant or even a song. They started singing the, the soundtrack of failure over themselves. Like, we, we don't have the strength. You know, we don't, we're not going to be able to get through this. We don't have the energy to complete this project. We're going to die. We're going to get destroyed by our enemies. That was the, the song of failure that they sang over themselves. And we have to be really aware of how powerful that is, that the enemy doesn't even need to attack. If the enemy can just get us to believe what they want us to believe, they've already won. They've already won. When we sing the song of failure, when we, when we give in to that intimidation, most intimidation, it's just empty. It has no power. It only has the power that we give it. Personally, I've, I've seen this happen in all three circumstances with the isolation, with the confusion, with the intimidation, where even strong Christians who ha- let their guard down were wounded, wounded by these things. It even says at the end of the passage that we read, it says that they slept in their, essentially they slept in their fighting clothes. They went to bed. They kept their armor on. They slept in their fighting clothes and they slept with their weapons beside them because they learned something. And this is what we have to do over the last few years. We have to, we have to come out with lessons. We have to come out different. We have to come out wiser and smarter and say, I see threats. I'm aware of things I never saw before. I just, they were invisible to me before. But now I, 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 I see this and I see I've got to have, my, I've got to have my, my armor on at all times. I've got to have my sword ready at all times. I have to be, I'm not just a kingdom builder. I'm not just a constructioner. I'm not just working on building things up, but I'm ready to fight at any point. The application for us, of course, is a spiritual allegory, of course, a huge spiritual allegory here. Obviously, you can apply this in the real world as well, but for us, it's, it's obviously, as you think about spiritual warfare, that we can't afford to be spiritually disarmed or spiritually unarmed. That as we realize, as we see, we see the forces of evil in the world, we see demonic powers and satanic powers in the world, we see the power of the flesh, we see how strong those temptations can be, we see the influence of the world upon us and the messaging from the culture upon us. When we understand these threats are relentless and really serious and always here and even when I'm asleep at night, I can't be, I can't actually have the luxury of thinking well, everything's going to be all right. I have to actually, I always have to men- the mentality that I might have to fight at any second. I might have to fight at any second. How can we learn to be on guard all the time? Because this might sound anxiety-inducing to some people. Like, I just want to break. I just want calmer waters. I just want to not have to think about anything. I just want to, you know... Just tell me what to do. You know, I just want uh, things to be okay. I just want, I don't want there to be any conflict. You know, some people thrive off of conflict. Some people hate conflict. But the truth is, Christian life is not like a conflict. It's not like a battle. It is a battle. That's exactly what it is. I've got three things, three ways we can stay on guard. Firstly is we've got to see the war. The first thing, the first way that we stay on guard, always on guard. And, and listen, you can, we can learn to be people who are on guard, but are not anxious about it. Because Jesus, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, gives us that peace that passes all understanding. So we can have confidence and peace, knowing we're okay, but also be on guard. You understand? Also be on guard. So the first one is we have to see the war. We have to see the war. We've already failed if we don't understand that the Christian life is a battle. It is a battle. You don't just sometimes have a battle. 
It doesn't turn into a battle. It wasn't a battle in the past. It's always a battle. This is the, the, the narrative story of since time began is, or since creation was you know, made is that there's a battle between good and evil. The kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. There's only two kingdoms. You're in one or the other one. This is the age-old story of the battle between good and evil. We have to see that is the nature of reality. If we don't see that that's the nature of reality, we're vulnerable. We're in danger. Second thing that we have to see is this, is that we have to know the truth. This is how you can be on God. You have to know the truth. This is the nature of spiritual warfare is, it's, it's this, it's believing the truth instead of the lie. Not being deceived. And you see this is how Jesus, this is spiritual warfare 101, this is how Jesus did it, right? When Jesus was tempted, three, the three temptations of Christ, each time he was tempted, even with scripture being twisted to try to manipulate him, what did Jesus do? Jesus fought back with scripture. He fought back with the truth. He knew the truth. That's how, that's, that's, Basically, how you sum up, so people get all carried away with spiritual warfare sometimes and fighting demons and things. And what it comes down to is just knowing the truth. It really is that simple. Because the power the enemy has is in the power of deception and lies. And so, because, because, so Jesus had that anchor. So when the lies came and the temptations came, Jesus' anchor was the word of God, which, you know, when you have an anchor, we have a ship that's anchored down, right? It gets buffeted by the, the wind and the waves, and it gets shaken around, but it doesn't lose its position because the anchor is holding it firm. And so this is how you stay on guard is you, if you know the truth. So when you hear something, you go, well, that's not true. I hope that we've been, what we've been through in the last few years, we've got a much higher awareness now that when we hear something, we go, wait a second. I'm not going to be fooled by that again. That thing again? Oh, I learned that one before. Let's look into this a little more. Let me illustrate it this way, actually, a very powerful uh, way to illustrate it, is uh, during the Korean War, thousands of um, United States uh, military personnel were, were captured as prisoners of war. And um, what happened was they were uh, exposed to these really invasive psychological tactics, all right? They had them in these prison camps, and they, they basically used these psychological tactics. This is the first time this has ever been used in warfare. And they convinced these prisoners of war, thousands of them, they convinced them, they, they actually turned them against their own country, against the, against the United States government. And so these people then, these prisoners of war started writing letters to the government denouncing their citizenship, denouncing the government, saying we, we, we've basically given up our rights and we, we don't care about the United States anymore. And they even got them to a place where they confessed to war crimes they'd never committed. They basically, the Koreans discovered a way to completely brainwash these soldiers. And the U.S. military and the U.S. government at the time was horrified that this was happening. No one had ever seen anything like this before. How, is this, how can somebody's mind, people who were patriots, people who said, I'm going to lay my life down. How could their minds be that easily manipulated by an enemy to believe this? Well, I won't go into all the tactics and the things they did. You can research that if you want to yourself. But they essentially brainwashed these people to completely change their minds. So now what happens is in military preparation, they actually they, they, they train people with um, psychological resistance tactics in order to better defend themselves from this kind of psychological torture and uh, manipulation. It's, an, it's a powerful illustration for us as Christians is we have to be, we have to be prepared 
for the deceptions and the manipulations that when we hear them, we go, well, I'm not going to believe that. I, I wouldn't be convinced by that. I see what they're doing. I see the tactics. And that's the third point. The third way that we stay on guard is that we, we understand our enemy. This is how all wars are fought and won. And we're in a war. To fight, you have to understand your enemy. If you don't understand your enemy, you're already losing, essentially. And here's how our enemy works. One of the greatest ways our enemy works is he always attacks us at our most vulnerable. It goes for the weakest part, right? The chink in the, in, in the armor, right? The, the, this is how all warfare is fought. Is you, you, you target where is somebody vulnerable. Where is their weakest part that they're not prepared for? They don't see it themselves, but we can see it. And we're going to exploit that vulnerability and take advantage of that. And our enemy always takes advantage of our weakest points. And so if the battle that we face, the spiritual battle that we face, is believing the truth rather than the lie, then the question we each have to answer is, what lies am I most vulnerable to believing? Where am I? And it's different for each of us. Because sometimes I hear something that someone will say, and I go like, well, why would they think that? But that's not my struggle. That's their struggle. And then things that I struggle with, someone else might hear and think, well, that's ridiculous. Why would he struggle with that? Well, that's because that's my struggle. It's not their struggle. We're attacked. So, so what we do is we identify where are my weak points, and then we build fortifications around it. We build fortifications around it. And we do it as we serve. We don't give up on serving. We don't give up on engaging. we still got to build and restore the work. We still got to do that. But as we do that, we learn to also fight. We carry the sword with us at the same time. And, you know, that might be, that might feel, that, that's a bit of a skill, isn't it? That, that's a bit of a stretch to say, how can I be a worker and a fighter at the same time? By God's grace. That's how we do anything. It's by God's grace, only by God's grace. This is kind of illustrated to us in Verse, in verse 20, it, it talked about, um, in, in Nehemiah, in the passage here in verse 20, it talked about, Nehemiah says, if you hear the trumpet, run to that place. If you hear the trumpet, run to that place. So in military formations or in, in military, you, you'll have, uh, especially kind of in, you know, back in the day, but even today, you, you'll have a, a role called a watchman, somebody called a watchman, all right? And the watchman, really important role, right? So you might imagine, you know, a watchtower, someone's looking out onto the horizon, looking out onto the distance, they're looking for coming threats. You know, is there an army approaching on the horizon? Well, I got to sound the trumpet, you know, I got to let sound the alarm bell, right? Let people know about it. And or is there some other kind of threat, something happening down here, long, far, farther away or up close? You know, I've got to alert people. So the watchman's role is, is really important. And so having a good attention span is a really important factor, a really important quality for a watchman to have, which essentially disqualifies all of us, especially if you're on TikTok. Your brain is mush. You're useless. If any of us were drafted to be the watchman, in a, in a modern-day war, our side would die. Let's just admit it, we would all die because none of us can pay attention to anything for more than two seconds anymore. We'd be like, how can I swipe this? It doesn't swipe anymore. What's wrong? What's wrong? So a good watchman, though, will, they won't slack off. When they're on their shift, they're not going to be like, well, it's a lot of downtime. You know, not, not a lot of stuff happening. You know, I could read a book, I could work on a personal project, you know, I could do some things. You know, Everyone's life is depending on this watchman to see a threat. And so the watchman has to 
you know, I mean, obviously they get breaks. This is a shift work, right? Everyone has their limits to it. But they're constantly, always looking into the distance, looking ahead. What's coming? What's coming? Is there something coming? Because we want to be ready. We want to be prepared. I want to see it. I don't want to be blindsided by it before. We, we were attacked before. Someone wasn't keeping watch when we were attacked. So I want to keep, keep an eye on it. I want to keep watching in the distance. The application for us is that we have to learn, all of us, there are some people that are more gifted at this than others, those who can discern and see what's coming. But we have to all learn to be more watchful, to scan the horizon. So I'm wiser. I've been through some things. I've learned some things from the challenges and the battles and the conflicts that we face and the threats that we face. I learned some things. And so now I'm a little bit more in tune to these threats that are coming my way. And we have to do this for ourselves, and we have to do this for other people. What we focus on really does affect how we think and what we perceive. So if we're focused on the wrong thing, if we're distracted by other things, we're not seeing the threats, then we're in great danger. Is there a temptation that you're facing that's coming your way? Is there a relationship? Is there an influence in your life, something? Even right now, the Holy Spirit can be dropping it in your heart, saying the exact thing you're thinking of, that's what it is. The very thing that if I put that my focus on that, then I've got my, I'm, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Because the kingdom of God is, you can't be neutral about the kingdom of God. You're either moving closer towards Jesus or further away from Jesus. That's the way it works. So we want to be moving closer towards Jesus and focusing on what he wants us to focus on. I feel like for several years now, many Christians have been ringing the alarm bell. I mean, we've been ringing the alarm bell. And I feel like more and more people are waking up to it. But not everyone. Not everyone's waking up to it yet. And I, I, hope to, I hope to blow the trumpet today and wake more people up to it. That Christians today, we're vulnerable to a few things, really vulnerable to a few things. We're vulnerable to taking on the world's conception of identity. We're vulnerable to taking on the world's conception of truth. And we're vulnerable to taking on the world's conception of justice. And it's astonishing to me, you know, people with, a, with a, a naturalistic view of the world, you know, they'll look to Darwin's work and say, well, that's, that's what I read. That's where I get my worldview from. Your Buddhists have their, their sacred writings they look to. Muslims, you know, read the Quran and follow the Quran. So it's interesting to me that there are many Christians that don't think to themselves, what does the Bible say about this particular thing? Isn't that a curious thing? It's almost like we don't like the Bible or something. When it's our book, this is our book. It's not anyone else's book. Well, I guess Jews, you could say Jews get half of it, one half of it. But you understand what I'm saying. This is our book, all right? We'll share it a little bit. We're happy to share it a little bit. That was an unplanned comment, by the way, just in case I get in trouble. That just came out on, ac on accident. The world wants us to adopt its ideology of identity. The Bible tells us we belong to God. The world wants to say the truth can be your own truth or it's subjective somehow. The Bible tells us, no, there's an objective reality that God defines and that that is righteous and holy. The world gives us its definition of justice and, and defines what it says justice is. And when you actually look at God's word, you say, there might be a few things that overlap, but actually it's different. It's different. If you want to learn more about that, we did a series on justice uh, last year. You can look that up, God of Justice. 
blowing the trumpet, when the trumpet is blown, what's the point in having an early warning system if you don't respond to it? Someone's ringing the bell, someone's blowing the trumpet. If you don't respond to it, and here's, a, here's the problem is, is that people, they hear an, an alarm bell, they think, well, someone else is going to respond to it. Won't, won't someone else respond to it? If you, to be a mature Christian is to get to the place, to get to the next level place of saying, if I hear the trumpet, I'm going to respond to it. I'm going to rally to that place because there's danger in that place. We need to defend that place. Somebody's vulnerable, something's going on, there's an alarm going off. And maybe I was the one that blew the trumpet because I could see something coming. These are some of the parallels for us, some of the lessons for us. And it ends in verse 20, 21 and 22. Let's read those again, 21 and 22. It says, so we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. They used every spare waking hour until the stars came out to work. Sometimes there are really hard times where we're in restoration work and you have to really pour yourself into it. And that meant that they had to, they had to say, they couldn't go to their fields out of the city. They couldn't tend to some of their personal affairs outside and further away. They said, we're all going to band together and stay together here and work on this work of restoration. This is the moment. This is the time. We want to band together and be in this. And then it, it tells us that they stayed in Jerusalem. They stayed in Jerusalem as they did this. They, they slept in their, in their fighting clothes and they, had, they were armed, ready for anything at the time. Real quick point on this. Jesus knew this. The apostle Paul knew this. The city of Jerusalem is probably one of the most consequential cities in human history. It's a very small city, actually, comparatively to many other cities. But without this city being fortified, how could the Son of God come? What, a, what an important place. And we see this as goes the city, so goes the culture. It's so much so that the Apostle Paul exclusively did his missionary work in cities to reach city centers. And I just want to say, let us not lose heart that God can do a great thing in Chicago. Let's have hope and faith for this city, even though it's a broken place, even though it's a fallen place, even though there's a lot of challenges. Let's not despise it. Let's see it with God's eyes. Let's see it with restoration, redemptive eyes and say, let's, let's be part of the work here, part of the gospel work here to reach this place for Jesus. Because this, this world is not our home anyway. And, and you've got to remember everywhere you go, there's problems and there's annoying people and stupid things. It's just sometimes, you know, it's everywhere. Let's have the heart of God. And let's remember the big work of Nehemiah, the goal of Nehemiah is to bring about the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And when Jesus came, what did he do? He came to pay the price for our sin. And he took a sword to the cross. You know this? Jesus took a sword to the cross, spiritually speaking, of course. He took a sword to the cross. People think sometimes, you know, Jesus died in weakness or defeat. No, 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 no. He went to the cross armed to the teeth because he went into death and into the heart of evil to destroy it from within. That takes weaponry and fighting and power. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus overcame it. He died so that we could live and celebrate Jesus and thank him for what he's done. Thank him for his sacrifice in our place on the cross. How can you respond today to this amazing work, this amazing message that we've received in Jesus? How can you respond? Consider 
what your next step is. The way you can do that, one of the ways you can do that is on this Connect card. We're going to collect these in in a moment with the offering envelope. The baskets will come around in just a moment. You can also text in. You can text the word ENJOY to 94000 and respond that way. But think about what's something you can do. How can you grow this mindset of saying, I want to be both a constructioneer and a warrior, equipped, wiser, more aware, having faith for God's plans and God's purposes, and fighting if I need to at any point. 